thank you for joining me today. I'm talking about how we become ambassadors of our own stories. This morning, my daughter asked me to tell the snake story to her friend who'd come to collect her for school. I found myself in a familiarly uncomfortable position, how to tell my daughter's favourite story in a way that would make sense to another non-third culture kid and how to navigate the degree of context necessary to make it make sense without making it longer than the average 11-year-old attention span. And then how to handle the unease I'm left with as I ponder what image of my TCK childhood I've impressed on my daughter anyway and to her friend. How many of us are trying to figure out how to communicate our stories? I hear third culture kids concerned about rejection as their stories don't land as relevant or interesting to their audience. So they learn to stuff their stories away, becoming instead excellent listeners of others' stories. Other TCKs find themselves overwhelmed by the lack of shared context with their listeners, so telling stories just feels like a mammoth task that would involve charts and maps and a potted cultural history just to make sense of the story they're trying to communicate. And then there are the concerns with how our stories can other, not only us, but also the cultures and contexts in which they're located. So many of us grew up feeling ourselves to be mini ambassadors for our passport countries, our parents' organisation, occasionally the faith culture as well, and for our host cultures. That's a lot of diplomacy. When I tell the snake story, what image am I leaving my daughter of my host country? And why does she like that one so much? It's full of danger that ended well, a smattering of humour and a definite sense of adventure to a non-TCK. What story am I telling of my presence in this country, of my childhood, and is this the story that represents my childhood to her? The snake story goes something like this. When I was a little girl, most of my friends lived on a big compound my child looks confused. A compound is a gathering of homes with quite a bit of space in between but with a wall around the whole space with a guard. Her face nods with moderate understanding but I feel I'm going to have to explain the whole guard piece another time. So we didn't have TV so we'd wander around entertaining ourselves and sometimes this would involve going to the big rubbish pit on the compound. More confusion. Okay, so we didn't have rubbish collectors like we do here in this country, so we'd mostly burn rubbish in pits. A wide-eyed nodding. Anyway, we'd go and look in the pit because sometimes the men on the compound would have caught a snake and killed it and we'd go see if it was there. Sometimes it'd still be twitching. I find myself mimicking the twitch here and making her laugh at the macabre imagery. I still remember the morbid thrill on how we dare each other to look at it, always ready to run for it if it turned out to be not so dead after all. Back to the story. Anyway, one day a group of us kids decided we'd go snake hunting. We marched around chanting, we're going to go snake hunting, we're going to go snake hunting. I don't think we actually thought we'd find one, but it was fun and we felt brave. 
we found a pipe under one of the houses and all peered in looking for a snake. And we saw eyes, her eyes widen. And then the eyes got bigger and bigger and we realised it was coming at us. So we ran for it. But one of the group was a very young girl and she just froze. I realised as we ran away that she wasn't with us. So I dashed back for her. My audience exhales slightly in relief. And then we told the grown-ups and the men went out and killed it and put it in the pit. Slight anticlimax. I've not quite nailed the ending, but my daughter is satisfied and asks for another story. And I stall, unsure of what snippet of life I can effectively communicate next. But as she trips off to school, satisfied that her mother is as interesting as she'd hoped her to be, I'm left with my thoughts. There it is. My childhood. Danger that ends in safety, a certain retrospective self-depreciation and a sense of adventure. I know I'm one of the lucky ones. I did escape many of the tragedies that often comes with a high-risk childhood. My childhood was full of opportunities to learn to not take myself too seriously. And I saw through the eyes of others what an adventure my life was. How othering. I'm tired of telling lucky escape stories. I'm tired of not taking myself seriously, performing my life for entertainment. I'm tired of telling my childhood as an adventure story. Today, I'm making a commitment to myself. I'm going to rewrite how I tell this story of mine. I'm going to spend time each week writing new stories from the old. Let's start with the snake story. When I was little, we felt quite safe to wander around as a group of kids unsupervised because we were on this compound that was guarded and we knew everyone who lived there. I guess that gave us confidence to make our own adventures, and we'd gotten quite fascinated by the snakes we'd see dead in the rubbish pit. It made us feel brave to look at them because it was quite scary and thrilling, really, and we knew how dangerous they were alive. We'd all heard of people getting bites and dying, but we felt so safe and protected that we felt invincible, and we decided to make our own adventure to go hunting for snakes. We marched around chanting, we're going to go snake hunting, but I don't think we'd thought through what we'd do if we found one. We were just making ourselves feel brave. When we saw these eyes in a pipe rushing towards us, we realised our mistake, that we were actually in quite a lot of danger and ran for it, but one little girl was too young to run fast and she sort of froze in fear, so I ran back for her. I feel bad thinking about it now, as I was the eldest, and really it would have been awful if it had caught her. Thinking now... I think we must have gotten a fair look at it because when we dashed back to one of the kids' homes, we found what it looked like in a snake book he had and showed the dad. Again, thinking back, I think it was an adder of some kind, very poisonous. The dad went out with some other men and they caught it and killed it and I remember feeling both good for alerting the grown-ups of the danger on the compound and guilty because it was our silly game that ended its life. We didn't go snake hunting again after that. I can hear the difference in this second telling, can you? I've actually inserted my own thoughts and feelings to the narrative. And it ended up longer. I took up more space this time. And I'm glad. How many of my stories have I compressed myself out of, leaving only the adventure and hardly any of me in it at all? So this is my thought today. How important it is to make space for ourselves as we tell our stories. 
We can spend so much energy trying to communicate context, impression manage, and essentially be good ambassadors in our stories that we forget to center ourselves within them. I want to communicate my childhood experiences to my daughter, but she's trying to get to know me, not my countries. What if I refocus the narratives along this theme and actually let her get to know the me that has lived my life? Incidentally, this is why I begin work with adult third culture kids with a two-hour session. This is the space we make for their whole story. We start with their birth and come right up to the moment that brought us sitting with each other in the present. Sometimes these two hours aren't enough and we continue the telling in later sessions too. It's simply not enough for me to take basic details from the TCKs I work with, the countries they've lived in, the ages they were at the time of their moves. Many of us use these details as shortcuts in knowing one another. And yet it's how you experience these places and the life you lived while there that tells me who you are. In our efforts to get to know one another, we can easily get reductionist, but you are so much more than the cultures you grew up in. You are your experiences of these cultures, what you learnt about yourself as well as the world around you. You are more than the sum total of your places and your story isn't even about those places. It's about you in these places. Another snake story I have is one that involved my housekeeper. The way it always used to be told was that we as children had these plastic snakes that we'd play with, bought in the UK of course, and one day we left one of them in our bed in Niger, West Africa. Our housekeeper went to clean in our room and we heard shrieking and stamping all of a sudden. When we rushed in, we realised she'd been attacking our plastic snake in a frenzy, actually managing to cut off the tip of its tail in her attempts to kill it. At the time, we thought this was the funniest thing. And this story would come up a lot around dinner visits throughout our childhood. On the face of it, this story pokes fun at our housekeeper for being so frightened of snakes and so unfamiliar with snake toys that she futilely attacked our plastic animal one day. Underneath, what this story is communicating is that we lived in a country where snakes were a real risk, and that people feared them for good reason. The only me in this story is a pretty callous me that laughed at the naivety and fear of my housekeeper. The purpose of the story, I think, has always been to highlight the otherness of our childhoods from our English peers who played happily with toy snakes with no context that had taught them to be really frightened of them. But if I centre myself in this story, my actual experience of this housekeeper, I find a different story. I find a story of a pretty insensitive introduction of toy horrors into a context that had legitimate fear of the originals. Instead of being reminded to have a care around this context, we saw ourselves as more brave than locals, laughing when their fear receptors wouldn't immediately distinguish the real deal from the facsimile. In reality, I was too stupid and too white, or privileged, to really understand how scared I needed to be of these snakes, and where our neighbours' fears were rooted. 
That's the humbling story. I also see a story of loving care, where my housekeeper didn't just run from the danger in the bed, but fought it through her fear. She was a great protector in my childhood. Loving care oozing from her every movement. This is a story of a woman being brave in the face of perceived danger and a story of how I was loved even in my ignorance and lack of shared understanding. Oh, but that story is so much harder to tell. I'm telling it now through tears in my eyes. How much easier to tell a story that laughs at local fear. But really, this is a story of local love. I am an ambassador. Not many anymore, but still an ambassador. I have the power to tell my stories a certain way. How I represent myself and those other characters and landscapes. And I have power over how much me I let be known through them. How I let my character be seen and heard and known. I, like so many of you, have had painful experiences of feeling misunderstood or othered by our listeners. I'm learning, like so many of you, to take control of the narrative. We all know the power of story, how many different ways an event or series of experiences can be spun. But if we believed, really believed, that our listener wanted to get to know us, what story would we tell? If we were to become ambassador of ourselves, how would we communicate our experiences then? Your story is precious, not simply because of the people, places and adventures you've been communicating, but because you are precious. Your story is worth hearing, not because it's unique or interesting or different, though it might be all these things as well, but because you are worth listening to. Your story is worth knowing not because it's a good yarn or useful in illuminating some cultural experience that should be known, although it may be, but because you are worth knowing. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for listening.